Hey, how's it going, everybody? It's your host, Dylan Conroy, with another edition of the Ad Podcast. And uh, today I am super excited. Uh, I'm getting to interview Ian Stewart, who's the Chief Marketing Officer of Excel Wetsuits, which was uh, recently acquired by the Wedge Group. A new, uh, I'm guessing, Ian will probably get into the details a little bit, but I'm guessing a new private equity style investment hold co focused on uh, snow and performance outdoor and their first acquisition being Excel wetsuits. Um, Ian has a really exciting background as a marketer, spending time at companies like Deckers, uh, working on the Uggs brand, uh, Coca-Cola. He was uh, uh, instrumental in growing the MTV brand in Asia. So uh, as an Aussie, I think that's where how he ended up at uh, MTV in Asia. But uh, Ian, uh, thank you so much for coming on the sh show. We're really excited to talk with you today. Yeah, nice one. Thank you too, John, for having me. That's awesome. Yeah, my pleasure. So Ian, I gave a little bit of it in an intro, but uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, can you maybe walk us through a little bit of your background, maybe some of the high points as you kind of uh, rose the ranks as a marketer and ended up in your current role uh, as the chief marketing officer for Excel. Yeah, no worries. Well, I'm, I'm sure everyone can already guess. I'm, I'm from Australia, grew up in Sydney, beaches, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, I'm also now an American because I've been here for 15 years. But yeah, Aussie um, did undergrad business, wanted to get some experience offshore in Asia because back, back in the late 80s, early 90s, Asia was ex an exciting thing to Australia. So I, I went up there. And started it with a market research agency. Actually, um, it was mm. the easiest job I could get as a graduate in Thailand, of all places. And that agency did a lot of youth work, and and I ended up lining up with the Coca Cola account and started in Thailand. Got moved to Indonesia for a bit, then moved up to Hong Kong to the headquarters. Uh, got close to the Coca Cola Asia headquarters. Um, so I did five years of, of that market research, and it was kind of a cool way to start into brand marketing because it starts you on the path of remembering that the consumer insight. And the, the universal human truth is what drives all of great marketing. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it was a great great way to kick in into a marketing career. I, I then had the chance to join Coke client side, which I, I did for a bunch of years uh, up in North Asia when Coke was coming back into China. So we were doing all, all like repositioning and reentry work and insight work and and how does an American brand work in in a complex market like China, which was awesome because I've, I've used that sort of playbook in multiple jobs since then. But yeah. I got on the radar of MTV who was coming into Asia for the first time and building a, a new team. And they recruit they poached me, recruited me to to join MTV, <clears throat> moved down to Singapore. The brief was create a music channel. Um, the initial channel was was international music. It didn't work as well because um, it that that sort of style of music doesn't cut across Korea and Thailand and Malaysia and Philippines. So we ended up creating 14 local channels each for each market. So over the time that I was there, it was all about localizing a, an American property into local culture, which is kind of what I was doing at Coke, you know, localizing a global brand into, into, into countries. Um, did that for, for a long time. I was there for 10 years, like on, and then I had an agency for a while that mm. did use research and, and, and insights and marketing and, and activations with MTV being my lead client. So I'd, I'd taken a break for, for different reasons and then uh, had that agency, sold it to one of the big agency networks and came back to MTV. So I kind of had a 10 year span of in and out, then back in again with MTV, then went up to all based in mostly Singapore and Bangkok, went up to Shanghai when Nike bought Converse and Converse was then sort of restarted as a brand globally. It was a distri distribution 
brand for many, many years, but Nike wanted to like run it as a proper, proper part of the Nike portfolio. So built a team, hit me up. I went up as head of marketing for Asia. And again, it's the same thing, global brand, localized. How do you, how do you do it? How do you take the, the DNA properties of a great brand like MTV or Coke or in this case, Converse and, and keep it true to the, the global DNA, but how do you make it locally relevant in China? Or you know, I, I had a regional role, so everywhere from Australia to India to Japan. Did that for a, a long time as well. And then got offered the chance to come to the US to join the global marketing team. Um, with my with my amazing CMO Jeff Cottrell, who saw the opportunity to bring a regional marketer into the into the global sphere, and, and yeah, I was actually going to ask you because uh, Jeff is a, a mutual yeah. friend, and I saw that you had some Coca Cola background and some Converse background, and I wanted to know if uh, you guys overlap. Well, yeah, so so when Nike was bringing in the Converse team, they they cleverly made it half Nike folks and half not Nike folks, so that they could have some cultural. <laughs> input into a brand because Converse is a very cultural brand and they recruited a whole stack of us from um, from places like Coke. So there was Jeff and Joy Howard uh, who went on to be... Yeah, Jeff was at Starbucks at the was, time. But he uh, he had been at Coke and, and Joy Howard who uh, was at Coke and then she, she went on to be CMO at like Patagonia and Sonos and Lyft. Uh, and my boss originally, Ivan Wicksteed, who'd come from Coke as creative director. So there's a bunch of Coke alumni at Converse. And, uh, and Jeff was my CMO and our boss for all the time that I was there. But he saw the opportunity to bring me in as, as someone who had 20 years of regional experience localizing global brands to then come into a global role and be really aware of what it means to be a global brand. So like my, my experience in the region, adapting brands to then be able to write briefs at a global level to the regions about how to make a global brand sing around the world was awesome. And Jeff was great. He put me through my paces over my years in Boston at Converse at in global, I ran some categories. I ran skateboarding for a, for a bunch. I, I ran Jack Purcell and apparel. Uh, he put me in North America to get me my head around us wholesale and you know, all the complexity of the foot lockers and all those accounts. And eventually yeah. I, I ended up taking, uh, taking his role. So when he moved up to a larger one, so it was an amazing run. It was, it was an awesome time. I learned so much, um, in that experience, I was then given the opportunity to go to Portland and Nike, and I didn't want to do that for family reasons. So um, mm. I ended up leaving reluctantly because I loved the brand. But, you know, one door closed opens 10 more. So I used my non-compete to work at um, Surfrider for free. Sorry. <laughs> I, I wanted to give back to a nonprofit I cared about, and I care about Surfrider in the Ocean. I had a, yeah. a one-year non-compete being paid to, to not work in the industry. So I thought I'll, I'll use that time to, to learn about nonprofit marketing. Cause back then there was a beginner section of brands wanting to be aligned with nonprofits and nonprofits wanting to have corporate partners. So I got right in the thick of it, right when Surfrider really turned the corner and took off to become quite a leading, a leading ocean conservation nonprofit. So I did that through my non-compete and it also gave me the time to work out where I wanted to go. Had a bunch of amazing brand opportunities coming off the back of everything that I'd done. And I chose Deckers. Uh, some folks from Nike Converse ended up at Deckers, including now the president, Dave Powers. Um, and yeah, what a great set of briefs. You know, it, I was the most senior person at Deckers there at the time. I was parked in the UGG team, but you know, we were resetting UGG and, and bringing it back to some a bit more fashion relevance, but watching from the sidelines on the Hoka growth, my wife was at Teva as a designer and then, and then Sinook oh, as wow. a, as a great surf inspired brand that one of my best friends, Magnus Wedhammer was, was the GM of. So a lot of like just fun at the Deckers brand sort of portfolio at that time. Uh, and I learned a lot 
about resetting a brand because I needed to be sort of fixed and grown and, and repositioned. And I had Norsen Boss who had a really great fashion background and she had a really good vision to really be disruptive with UG to, to just punch out of the doldrums that the brand was in. So, she, you know, she had a great vision. We executed that really well and we turned the brand around. Um, but I also learned a lot about like portfolios because Deck is, is an interest every, and we, we can get to talk about different portfolios because there are many and we're, we're building on where I am now, but every portfolio is different. Deckers is interesting because it's a central omni channel team with brand satellites. So the Hoka brand satellite, the Teva, the Sinop, the UG one. So I got a really nice learning on how to get synergies uh, in a portfolio, like back office, front office, brand, brand teams, product teams, et cetera. So I did that for a bunch. And then I mentioned before my, my, my close friend Magnus over at Sinop got tapped to go and reset Tom's shoes. Mm, yeah, um, and that was early 2020, and he he was able to bring me along. Um, so we came into that at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, and then as with everybody who's listening, we've all ridden the pandemic and all of our horror stories of every moment was another crisis we had never dealt with, and and the ups and the downs, and some of it was great and some of it was terrible. So I did that for for a bunch of years and learned a lot from the UG experience about resetting an iconic brand, and Tom's was also iconic. And all that we had to do to like bring that brand back to fashion relevance as well. And that was an even bigger reset than, than UG. We had, we changed everything from product to giving, to marketing, to branding, to, to partnerships, the, the, the whole, the whole nine yards. Um, wow. And I mean, I'm going to get into the end of the, 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 the long story short, but long, yeah, long, long story short, uh, during my Tom's time, which was amazing. And I learned so much about resetting again, brands, but I also learned a lot about navigating complexity and crisis with the pandemic. Um, some friends of mine had raised the money to buy a surfboard and said to me, do I want to come along? Um, that they were more finance and logistics, um, sales kind of sort of background. They wanted to have a brand brand person who got the space, but had, had cut their teeth with brand turnarounds, understood, you know, um, what it meant to, to, to get a brand back to, to its glory quickly. Uh, so I said, look, wait, I've got to finish out my term at Tom's, but as soon as I am done, I'm coming over. So that was a year and a half ago. And I'll, I'll pause now because now that's, that is now where I am. So. I love it. I love it. So, um, yeah. So the first question I wanted to ask you is, um, why did board writers sell and spin Excel off? Um, it seemed to me from looking from the outside in to be a relatively nice addition to their portfolio, but I don't know how the priorities change for them. Uh, and why was it a good acquisition for Wedge as their first surf brand that they wanted to add to the portfolio? Yeah, I mean, there's, there, I, I don't want to speak too much out of turn about board writers, although a lot has been sure. written, written about it. It's a really interesting conversation around portfolio strategy on paper and portfolio strategy and execution, because board writers, you could argue, was not the most successful execution, despite the best intention of gathering a bunch of great iconic surf brands to share back offers and get, get yeah. profitability. But, you know, in that, in that case, they also were expected to still compete in the, in the marketplace. Mm. Um, they literally had bought a collection of, you know, wetsuit brands with that all had apparel businesses, mm -hmm. you know, Quicksilver with Roxy and Billabong with Billabong women's and Ruka and Excel all have thriving wetsuit businesses. And they also had element in DC. Um, yeah, so it I, I, it didn't work in 
in hindsight, you know, since then that whole a big chunk of that portfolio has been sold on to authentic brand groups and is now going through the licensing process. Other parts of it, Ruka with Pat has gone off on its own and DC is is off doing something. And, and through the earlier stage of the breakup of board writers, uh, we were able to get intel that they would be open to sell some of the smaller brands because Billabong Quick were, were massive brands off the, their apparel businesses. The wetsuit market, you know, Excel is still a pretty pretty formidable size brand within wetsuits, but wetsuits is a smaller part of the bigger surf industry. So that just through conversations, the, the opportunity came up for them to, to just slice it off and, and move it on. The bigger question is, why did they buy it in the first place? I mean, originally Excel was bought by Billabong, then Billabong got bought by, um, you know, absorbed by board writers. So Excel got dragged along with it. And again, you might argue from the outside that Excel was was not given the best opportunity to grow sitting under some biggest mm. wetsuit brands in your family. You might, maybe you might guess that maybe it wasn't designed to grow. Maybe it was designed to park it. So park the brand for, for a while, but for eight years, the brand kind of languished in the marketplace. What was amazing with Excel is that its product development, R&D and innovation didn't di didn't languish. The product team at Excel continued to innovate and create great wetsuits, even though they weren't, the brand wasn't performing well in the market, in the front of the market, you know, with marketing and sales and distribution. So we looked at it, or the, you know, the people that I then joined looked at it and said, wow, here is a, a great iconic brand that's been around for 40 years, that's loved by core surfers, the core audience, and has fantastic product. And and its its biggest opportunity is that it's been it's been left to to languish for a little bit, but gosh, bring it back to its glory. The fundamentals of any brand turnaround starts with great product. You know, the UG turnaround, sheepskin is a great product. We had to just bring that to a modern interpretation. Tom's is a, is an interesting company because it's a blend of a giving company and a comfortable footwear company. We just needed to yeah, we needed to update the cause, which we did, and we needed to update the shoes, which we did, but. You know, Excel didn't have to touch the product. If anything, what we, we've, we've done in the last year and a half is found the, its most iconic products within a large line. And, and then what I've done in marketing is said, what's our hero product of all of our different wetsuits? And let's make that hero the one thing we speak about for, for the next two years. So we just get repetition and build impressions, not around all the wetsuits we have, but around the number one wetsuit we're the most proud of, which is the Compact. So that's kind of the Nike playbook, like make the thing the thing. What are you famous for? What's your hero? Focus on that. Tell that story all the time. And the rest of the line will follow in behind it. So that's why they bought it. Um, they, you know, like like us with Tom's, they got it right at the beginning of the pandemic and every category had its problems. The problem that, that the surf industry had during the pandemic was a massive influx of people into surfing. Yeah, like bicycles and skateboarding and anything outdoors. So there wasn't enough supply <laughs> to meet the demand in surf in the first year of the pandemic and supply chain was choked anyway, and then container costs went up and you know, all of the problems that we all had, but there was a massive like surge of demand, couldn't get met with supply. So there was a whole year in surf where people couldn't get anything. Or in the case of surfboards, the prices all went through the roof because they could. The second year of the pandemic, supply chains opened up and then sales went crazy. And everybody's second year sales in surf once product was available, went through the roof because surf participation went like that, you know, sort of like that <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, but then, you know, on the back end, people yeah. go back to their normal lives and surf participation now is only slightly up on where it was in 2019. Mm -hmm. 
Um, interesting. It sure it sure feels more, like it's more. Here but yeah, in San same Diego. Santa Barbara. I mean, the, the, there's more now than there was. <laughs> so the net net, a, mm -hmm. a bunch of people who came to surfing have stayed in it, but a huge yeah. amount of people who came into it didn't stay in it. And yeah, sure. and a lot of the people who came into it are not like us, where they're buying or wearing four or five or six wetsuits a year because you surf every day and you've got 30 surfboards. They might have one surfboard that they're going to have for yeah. the next 10 years and they'll probably wear a wetsuit for their casual surfing for the next three years. So you didn't get a lot out of that repeat out of the, those those people, the influx of people that came in. So then off the back of the pandemic, everybody's massively over inventory because like in many other categories, like bicycles, for example, everybody thought that the, the heyday was going to continue forever, but of course it, it mm -hmm. didn't. So um, anyhow, I mean, all that said, yeah. and, and then within surf, the other major, major thing that happened in the last year is that all those iconic brands at the top of the marketplace, the ones that have driven surf for the last 20 years, Quicksilver and Bellabong particularly, are now gone to a licensing company. So the, the this array of, wow, of what crazy. that means for the resetting of the marketplace. We've just finished eight, eight, nine, ten months of experiencing massive discounting from those brands because they're obviously through a sale process wanted to offload inventory. Um, so we've all been suffering from like, and in Excel's case, we, we've, we've remained full price because we don't want to get into discounting to the bottom. So we've, we've had to ride through at full price, depending on our loyalty. Um, and brand love, which we've done, we, we're still growing double digits. So we, we, we've got through. And then underneath us, and this is common to other categories coming out of the pandemic too, with the economic pressures of last year, the smaller brands just don't have enough cash because if the retailers are over inventory, they're not ordering. And then if they're not ordering, but everybody's sitting on inventory, but the small brands can't pay back to the factories. And so they're, they're getting cut out. Then they're not generating enough cash because the, the stores aren't paying them. And then maybe they don't have a thriving econ business and they've got all these bills mounting up from the factories and everywhere else. There are brands that are around us right now going under and surf, like they've just run out of cash. Nice. So above us, gone to licensing beside us, other brands, Rick Cole and Neil strong under us yes sad sad amount of chaos so we're spending our time right now strategizing what does it mean for us like the market's not growing so we can't grow our business by growing the market right now so the only other thing you can do is grow your business by taking market share yeah so what about uh what do you think about the wave pool industry do you think that will grow the market over time like we just had another one come on live uh come online Absolutely. in palm springs um, I've rented the uh, the Waco Resort for a day and a half to do stuff with influencers and brands. And these are like non-endemic surf influencers. These are guys that are just, you know, content creators that happen to want to get out and have like a cool backdrop like that. Um, do you think things like, I think the two things that I think would drive market expansion would be the wave pool industry, but also like the Olympics and, you know, more high profile media opportunities for surf. Do you see signs of the category growing like in the future, do you think? I think wave pools are still fledgling and a lot of the people that are going to do it aren't going to do it every day. So they're not going to buy their own equipment. They're going to just, just take what's at the park. So, yeah, I mean, we have an wow. opportunity. We're having, we're having conversations with a stack of pools around having our products available, but it will, you know, it'll be rental. It's kind of like wakeboarding. You're, <clears throat> the people that wakeboard all the time, they've got all, all got all their own kit, but people who do it casually don't want to invest in all the money for all the equipment. So that's the wave pool side, but it's certainly putting surfing more visible inland, which is, which is positive. And maybe that brings people, you know, 
reluctantly to the coast where we are to go surfing or on surf holidays and, and, and maybe they'll just get stoked on surfing and pick it up as a hobby but you know for them surfing will be like for us skiing you know it's still an effort to, to get there and do yeah. it and, and do you buy all the equipment and, and do you have the latest equipment and do you refresh it every year like if you're a daily surfer you're constantly refreshing equipment but if you surf every every once in a while you won't i think the, other, the, the bigger thing with surf that's interesting is taking a really long view the 70s and the 80s this industry was driven by hard goods like the the, the pinnacle brands were surfboard brands you know the 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 lightning bolts of the yeah. world that made that made the stuff and and then you know into the 90s and the, and the thousands um it all became about apparel because surf at that time was popular for non-surfers so the so the surf brands got so big not by selling a billion dollars worth of t-shirts to surfers they, they got big because they sold a billion dollars worth of t-shirts to non-surfers yeah or board shorts exactly that exactly that are going and, to the so board. that's what got it big but then that trend went away because those inland kids moved on to a different fashion sense hip-hop or whatever so then the bubble burst in surf but there's still all the surfers there's just we're not we're not big enough as a community around the world there's three to five million surfers in the u.s so we're not big enough as a community to build billion dollar brands so i think what's going to happen as we've gone out of this two decades of the industry being driven by t-shirts and hoodies is we'll go back to equipment and hard goods which is what all all niche sport categories are driven by their equipment you know they're not usually driven by t-shirts that was an anomaly of, of fashion so yeah. it became fashionable with everybody so everybody wore surf fashion surfing surfing is not as fashionable with everybody like it was so again that's why why excel or, or who's going to win or, or what where are the trends in the industry now it's it's back to equipment and technical products and performance products and things that you need to do your 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 passion and your hobby and, and and you know really well not another t-shirt if you go into jacks and huntington it's mind-blowing there's there's if you hadn't been in jacks for a few years and you go in now you're like oh my gosh there's like 60 t-shirt brands there used to be 20 or maybe there's 80 right so we're still flushing out of that that era of what it meant to be a surf brand back to an era where a surf brand makes equipment for surfing yeah no i love that so um has Wedge uh, made any additional acquisitions other than Excel? Anything on your uh, roadmap? Nothing I can talk about. about, but we we um, yeah. we decided last year, just with all of that chaos, to just rebuild Excel. <clears throat> it's a great brand, 40 years old, performance wetsuits, loved by core surfers, particularly the core of the core. You know, It's very nuanced if you're not a surfer, but every brand you use, tells the other surfers in the lineup what sort of surfer you are the, the brand of surfboard you know the sticker on your truck this kind of truck you have <laughs> the, the kind of leash the, the kind <laughs> of wetsuit like excel is a very core core brand <clears throat> so we wanted to rebuild that first like we wanted to re-establish our core roots which is why when we when we rebuilt the athlete team we we made sure it was all very very core charges um so that that's been our focus with with the portfolio is just to get excel strong again with excel this the growth will come from getting into other water sports because a strong surf brand will have will have credibility when you get into wind and stand up and wake and all you know all, all the other things that people do in the water so that's kind of excel but we're still building that but what we were doing last year is raising funds and and getting investor interest and and just talking to lots of brands because as i mentioned before the, the big brands have now been sold off there's a bunch of medium brands around us. Some are doing better than others. And then underneath there's a bunch of amazing brands that aren't doing well. So we've been just generating momentum and interest. And we've got three or four deals in play right now that we hope to 
move through the system now over the next two or three months to be able to say we have a surf portfolio of five or six iconic performance driven equipment brands we have one deal we're, we're announcing next week so it's so close to be able to tell you but we're, we're doing it'll be in shopping oh. stuff next week i know i'm sorry <laughs> it'll be in shopping stuff no it's all good well i'll be pumped to uh to, to keep an eye on it so um, well, hey, um, I wanted to dive in a little bit about, you know, your success, because as much as you just painted, you know, some a little bit of a picture of a little bit of doom and gloom out there in the larger category. And, you know, that's OK. I mean, sometimes it's, uh, you know, what is um, what does uh, Warren Buffett say? Right. Be greedy when uh, when, you know, people are I, I don't remember the exact uh, phrase, but like sometimes chaos creates opportunity. And it sounds like you guys are getting ready to to jump on some of that. But um, when you and I were first uh, going through emails to book this meeting, you know, you were generous enough to share with me your personal code. And I got my first Excel nice. wetsuit. Um, no, I'm, I'm sadly, I would consider myself kind of a newer entry. Like I've been surfing mm -hmm. for maybe 10 years. Uh, I grew up in Santa Barbara, went to junior high, uh, high school and college there. But I found Santa Barbara to be a tough part place to learn to surf. Um, first of all, when I was a kid, I hated the feeling of wetsuits. Now I absolutely mm -hmm. love them, of course. But um, Santa Barbara also is a bit of kind of a, it's a, you know, it's a little bit mm -hmm. loped out, you know, going to certain spots. Like you have to like, I at least found it was challenging to learn to surf in Santa Barbara because if you go to any of the good spots, people are not super accommodating with people who are trying to, you know, learn if you don't know the etiquette and the culture. And then when I moved down to San Diego uh, 10, 12 years ago, you know, there's a break mm. on every beach. So it's very easy to kind of get the fundamentals down mm. and to learn. But um, I was just curious, um, you know, for you as a marketer, um, you know, joining Excel, you know, when you shared that cyber, uh, you shared with me your personal code, but you also mentioned that you guys were coming off your most successful Cyber Monday, Black Friday window of all time without giving out any cyber monday black right. friday discounts so can you talk a little bit about you know that uh recent run for you guys and then why you think you were so successful uh through that period um i'd love to know what you think is driving um your guys success in an even in a challenge yeah, yeah, no, for sure and i'll make it relevant to like where i'd come from and so then what what, what how i approached it to get the brand ready and, and, and getting to this place where it's, where it's growing so well. Well, first of all, it's, it's the first time in my career I've worked inside surf, despite being a lifelong surfer who surfs mm -hmm. every day. And that's all I do. We don't have any other, my wife surfs, my kids surf. We, we don't do anything other than surf and we don't, we live on the beach. So like what, that's it. our passion, I, but I have never worked in the surf industry. So it's amazing for me to come into the surf industry, having worked for lots of iconic, great brands and had incredible training and great bosses to like just throw my marketing experience into an area that I'm really passionate about. I think that that intersection is like, it's nuclear because I th yeah, I've got so many great friends in the surf industry, but they tend to be like lifelong surf industry folks. And so yeah, they're like, uh, they're like guys that were on the pro tour at one point, or they're related to a pro, but they don't, they, they haven't come up through the marketing. Well, it's just, like, it's yeah. just a different, different career path. They, they know the industry inside out and they know how yeah. the, the consumer works in the marketplace and the, and the retails, like, like there's a huge amount of just knowledge of the, the, the mechanicals of the industry, but there's just a lot of 
of just doing everybody's doing sim similar sorts of stuff like right? the websites all look the same and the approach to athletes are the same and the social feeds all look the same and like it, it's all it's fine but just it's just that this is the way it is so i was excited to be able to bring a different perspective on marketing into a brand that i love anyway and then into a area of subject matter that I, that I love with surfing so the first thing i did was just like understand the brand like i luckily i knew it but the, you know the process is what 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 is excel like why is excel still around in 40 years later what what are the what are the pieces of its dna that's carried it this far and it's it's corners like it's a core brand it's, it's remained like true to its core so i i established that as the positioning excel is committed to the core um and then as I said before, every great iconic brand has great products and each each iconic brand has one product that they're most famous for, you know, the black chuck, the Ugg boot, the Timberland boot boot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, my other, my other exactly. Christmas Exactly, there you go. That's right. No, <laughs> I, I, that chestnut sheepskin is iconic, right? And the Tom's yeah, Alpagato yeah. and, the, and the, like every, every brand has its icon we didn't have that at excel we we knew we were a core brand but we weren't saying it so we so step one and say remind everybody that you're a core brand we brought back matt archibald archie who was one of our iconic surfers from the 90s and he's now older and with kids but we brought him back into the mix and we created a, a, a retro collaboration suit with him and we used him in content and it was a reminder to the older end of the surfing community that we're we've always been a core brand and when you ask a lot of people what do you most remember about excel people say the 90s and people like archie so i'm like we'll bring him back that's like step one so like mm. a visual re re recognition cue of of the corners yeah a little little that 90s right but then not, we, but we didn't do a throwback we didn't like to show clips of him in the 90s we showed clips of him we showed films of him now in his house in san clemente with his with his grown-up kids as a as an awesome wonderful father and, and but still a ripping surfer so we modernized the the, the the icon rather than did a history lesson with them because kids don't need a history lesson so like that was step one the step two we have heaps of suits at excel heaps and heaps like like nike has heaps of sneakers and you know what, every brand's got lots of products but one thing i learned at nike was what are you famous for so when we looked across all of our suits and are talking to people and going through the archives and and just everybody came back to one suit which is for the non-surface excuse me for getting into the weeds on the naming but we have a suit called the comp x it's famous because it's inside lining is infrared it's patterned like an infrared um you know reading machine or model reds and oranges and, and yellows and it's uh, it's iconic visually because people remember it being rolled down when people come up from the surf people remember it inside out hung over a a, a car drying out or a fence or whatever so there's a visual iconic reference to this brand that was not being brought to life because we were, we were telling all the product stories so second step we did was you know bring back the corners and bring back a core face and then second one product wise was bring back the core iconic product and put it on the site and and, and celebrate it like you do you learn at nike like make the thing the thing and put it mm. on every athlete and every photo shoot and every reference and every ad and every social feed like just re repeat 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 so that like that was step two is, is like iconic brand uh communication and iconic product communication and then rebuilding the the athlete team with with core surfers that bring those aesthetics and values to life so that they're all like the front end of brand marketing that i did the back end was was the more boring stuff we we're also very traditional in that we didn't have hadn't had hadn't had a strong approach to direct to consumer and e-commerce um 
Yeah, I read I read somewhere that you guys are kind of focused on really su supporting the retailer uh, as been. your primary. Had been, had uh, had been because before the internet, you know, the surf, surf surfing grew only from surf shops. So there is an older distribution model in surf that says support the core surf shops on the corner because that's where everybody goes. But not really anymore. People don't go to the course surf shop on the corner anymore. They go to the internet. So I think that we didn't have a web presence. And sadly, we didn't have one going through the pandemic because every single brand benefited mm -hmm. from an e-com lift during the pandemic, except Excel. It's the only brand in the in the world, whole world who didn't get a lift from e-com because we didn't really have a proper website, which is a miss, but that's fine. So coming coming into the role, we just rebuilt the site like, you know, proper Shopify platform, proper templates, proper landing pages, proper PDP, proper copy and content and photography and just elevating the whole web experience. Because when when I got into the weeds, we we had a really high percentage of people who add add to cart. If you, if, for those that know your conversion rate sort of formula, we had super high add to cart and super low conversion rates. So people, people thought mm. they wanted to buy Excel, but we weren't giving them enough reasons to check out. Waiting for, wait for the coupon, coupon or just you know if, if they weren't brand loyal and therefore they didn't need to like add to cart and wait they just like bought it so that's that we'll always have that group of people who are super loyal to the brand but a huge number of people in the category aren't loyal they're just as happy to say i, I need a new wetsuit i've got 350 i like all the brands so let me open all the pages and let me see let, let's see which brand feels most compelling to me so i've got all the brands open and then Excel just wasn't getting getting the share. Like the, the, the people were just going to another brand. So we wanted to close that gap, increase the conversion rate, which was a fixation on PDP and content and copy and 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 compelling you know tools that we all know in conversion rate optimization. And sure enough, our conversion rate went from nothing to a really really healthy significant one, and our add to cart gap to checkout closed considerably. So I focused really heavily on that, and that's a Big reminder for anyone coming into e-com or conversion rates all up is mostly all that matters we can talk about lifetime value and aov and qualified traffic and all those things are important but you can make a big difference in your business by fixating on conversion rate and just like yeah. if it's not at three to four, four five percent why not what's your add to cart cap like what where are the best practices on the internet often outside of your own category who's doing pdp incredibly well like for me i love like cookware brands like made in if you've ever mm. been sucked into the made in website you've probably ended up buying a knife or a fry pan because their pdps are <laughs> so well made they have all the, the psychological tools that, that that you know are important they've got great compelling copy they've got unboxing videos they've got the making of video they've got the the, the specs they've got the why this pan they've got the expert testimonials from chefs they've got the the reviews down the five-star reviews down the bottom of all the people who've said this is the best thing i've ever bought they've got beautiful photography they've got everything you've ever ever read about conversion rate optimization there and you walk away going i've just bought myself three fry pans so <clears throat> they've got those guys interesting a new active wear brand called Ten Thousand. i think they're doing an incredibly good job of yeah of their PDP in a really great product marketing. Like they make it easy. They explain their line. There's, you know, the, 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 the short, medium and long, the with or without lining, all the colors, it, like it's all very, it's very, very well put together with great compelling content and copy. If that's, if that's the space that you're in. And um, I think 
again, my 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 th- my, my thing is go out and find the best practices and learn from them and, and take the yeah. new category. There's nothing wrong with that. There are brands out there who do good stuff and you want to do good stuff. So th- that's where I got fixated on with Excel. And it's really like, it's really working. So th- th- that was like step three. Step four was, was what's our strategy with digital. So we have loyal following. Mm-hmm. We didn't need to worry right now about retention so much. Um, but we needed to be massively focused on acquisition. So I found a, a, a digital agency that's that came out of the surf industry. So it had a, a digital partner who nice. loves surfing. You want to you want to shout them out? We're always uh, glad to get Yeah, yeah, for sure. To, yeah, to it's an awesome agency. Orange County agency called Sunnyside. A uh, bunch of fantastic people okay. coming out of brands like Quicksilver and Paxan and Bolcom and and just during the pandemic saw an opportunity to have created a digital agency for the for the industry so that and I've, I've only nice. ever worked with agencies by and large that were great at what they did, but not from within the category that I worked. They were just good at their craft. So uh-huh. to be able to find an agency yeah. that's good at what they do and love the industry means building campaigns and looking at different like approaches to creative. They just love it. They're, just, they, they, they're into the subject matter. So that step one was get, get a great partner, which, which was there. And then step two with them is go 100% acquisition. So for us, rebuilding a brand, mm-hmm where we know our brand is great from product and we have a, a lower following, it was less about su- supporting the core as step one. Step one was acquiring new based on the you know lookalike targeting of, of, of who core surfer is that loves Excel. So doing all that stuff, the brand's going through the roof um, because we're growing, at, we're getting through all of this current hiccup in the industry, not by having existing channels uh, not working. We didn't, we, had, we didn't have a channel called digital e-com. So we're just we're, we're growing because we didn't have it. We're, we're catching up at penetration. If if the average brand is thirty to forty percent of their total revenues ecom, ours is single digit. It was single digit. So we're just growing penetration. Wow. We're, we're growing into a belief that people will buy wetsuits online, just like the belief fifteen years ago that people will buy shoes online. You know, I was. Yeah, or like uh, you guys got a mattress company in Santa Barbara called Lull. You know that category was early, and I yeah, I, I don't think I've ever bought a wetsuit online right. until I bought yours. Right, but, but once you like shoes, once you know your size, um, you should be able to like. It, it's actually a great loyalty tool because once you know your size, you're like, oh, I, I'm a perfect medium in Excel. So I, rather than risk it with another brand, I'm just going to keep going back because I know that it, it fits. That's how footwear worked at the beginning of footwear everyone's like it'll never work people won't buy shoes online they need to have them fitted because remember when you're growing up you'd have to go to the shoe store and they get that weird machine out <laughs> but it was always the same size so anyway so you lock in with footwear now we're locked in with with wetsuits we have a tiny return rate you'd, you'd think a wetsuit's complex and we have 17 different sizes for wetsuits there's so many different wow. versions, variations of size but people find their their size and unless they change shape so we're growing digital. Yeah, I love it. So um, I wanted to ask you, um, I did read somewhere, you know, you've talked a little bit about, you know, um, the core is there. Those guys are repeat the repeat users. Um, but you also talked a little bit in a, in a prior interview about, you know, how do you move from this kind of hardcore loyal fan base of like, like you talked about the guys that buy three or four wetsuits a year. They've got a quiver of 30 boards. How do you, how are you guys expanding into more of the, like you said, the casual wetsuit shopper that maybe buys one a year and they're less brand loyal and they're not hardcore, but they surf maybe, you know, 
10 times a year, once a month or something like that. I'm doing it slowly because I've learned that you can't reestablish yourself with the core and scale to the wider casual or mass at the same time. I've been in other jobs where that pressure was on to like grow into new, new audiences at the same time as being strong in the core, be it fashion opinion leaders or skaters or whatever, whatever the brand that I was working on. It, it doesn't work that way. You're only going to be strong to the wider audience of the mass if they see that you're strong on the inside. And that's where brands like Patagonia, I think, have done really well. They've always remained really true to the core of the core of who uses their brand. And that that credibility makes them attractive to people who aren't from the core. So if you believe that, then my belief is you get really strong again with you with the core surfer and and people will notice. So what we're doing is like we're the sort of brand that's that's most likely going to be seen in in, in more of the like you said, the the, the low the the hardcore surf spots, Ventura, parts of Santa Barbara, yeah. like El Cap, you know, up in Oregon, Santa Cruz. Um, so we're reestablishing ourselves in those lineups by just getting our product out. Um, so like, for, for example, because I live in Santa Barbara, if you paddle out to where I surf, everybody's in Excel now because I made sure everybody got wetsuits. Massive, massive swell we had. I was sitting out there with, with a bunch of the, the locals and I looked around and mostly by design from me, but everybody had Excel on their shoulder. So that, but that, you know, that, that was by design. The goal of that is that the casual surfer who's, who sees that action and sees those great surfers and sees those people who are charging, they're all in, in Excel. Then that's, that's the credibility that, that gets you to the wider audience. So, but it comes in phases. Again, you can't do them both. You can't be attractive to the casual surfer without being solid with the core. So our step, one is to be re reestablish our solid roots. And I believe, because I've seen it happen in other brands, I believe that that will see us grow um, because we will become a brand that, that the casual surfer who doesn't know will say, well, if that person's wearing it, I, I want to wear it too. So, Yeah, it becomes aspirational, right? It's uh, We talked about our friend Jeff Cottrell who took over marketing at TaylorMade for a while and they're the golf club that most pros use, right? So their aspiration, I buy it because yeah, exactly. if you're casual golfer or anything, you just don't, you don't know, you don't have as much technical knowledge on products. So you, you do have to follow the people who you think are doing a good job with the product. So that's, that is exactly the theory. So I, I, I really believe in supporting the core. I think that any brand who forgets their core and gets greedy and just worries about the mass will go, to, go down because you need to nurture the core to grow um and and, it, and and that will happen nice so i want to uh dive in a little bit to my uh part of the ver marketing vertical which is uh influencer marketing in the mm. creator economy so um we're a bit of a speciality in the surf industry that we do all of the world surf leagues influencer marketing we do uh, surf park central which is the governing body in and around the wave pool industry we're in a pitch right now for oh, nice. 805. So, um, yeah, so, you know, we've kind of been Southern California surfers. We've kind of fell into it from the same way that you did, having a passion for the industry and being guys that surf. And uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you guys are approaching your creator marketing or your athlete uh, mm -hmm. or your ambassador program, whatever you want to call your quote unquote influencer program. Um, are you guys focused on? 
mainly pros or are you guys focused on lifestyle guys that embody uh, the, 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 the ethos of surfing? You know, you mentioned this gentleman, um, I think you, uh, Archie, Archie, uh, Archie from, uh, that you guys were big with in the nineties. So how are you guys kind of approaching the creator marketing, influencer space, you know, ambassador? Sure. And, and I think stepping back from just Excel, because Excel is still in the biggest scheme of things, a small brand with small budgets and small teams. So <clears throat> if you step back to some of the other roles that I've had, I, I'm a big believer in the full pyramid of influences from, 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 mm. you know, in previous jobs, like put Pharrell or Beyonce or Rihanna at the top of the pyramid. Right. So I've, I've been there with, with that. Yeah. Job. Yeah, and then the building top. all the layers yeah. down, down to the absolute micro of micro influences. And I've, I've had agencies doing even just part slices of the of the pyramid because there are some agencies that are really good at the super micro level. There are agencies that are really great in the middle, you know, the, the, the minor celebrities and there are agencies who are great at the celebrity level. So I'm a big believer in the pyramid. And when you have the budgets to do it and, and brands like Converse and to certainly set UG, which is a multi-billion dollar brand, you can really make it work. I think influencers work really well hand in hand with a great PR strategy as well. Because I think the ultimate goal is not to get lots of influencers. The ultimate goal as a marketer is to have your brand very present, right? So objective is presence. Tactics are influencers and PR. And the outcome is your brand suddenly feels like to consumers that it's it's everywhere, right? So again, it's not, not like the strategy tactic outcome is not build an influencer army. The strategy out, tactic outcome is presence in the marketplace and one of the ways to do that is with influencers and then the the, the way to dimensionalize it is the pyramid from mega celebrity down to micro is building that out based on how, how big you are as a brand like you, again we're, we're not big enough to have the full pyramid at excel but I, I get the theory and the concept but i do believe as i said influencers i think work best hand in hand with really really great pr and pr mm. is also a pyramid from absolute organic PR in the right press and, you know, cutting your press into to fashion and lifestyle and mass media and trade and, you know, all the different parts of press and then the pay to play. And then you got your affiliate sort of PR. That's not really PR, but it's, you know, the top 10 wetsuits for this winter, but it's all, it's all affiliate revenue based, but all of that stuff done really well. The outcome is your brand is everywhere. It's interesting right now. Mm -hmm. And I know the team because they used to work for me, but, the UG team had, have, and now the Hoka team, but the UG team have done an incredible job of making you see UG everywhere. It's it's mm. it's literally maybe I'm looking for it because I came from the brand, so maybe it's more noticeable to me. But they they have that 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 whole ecosystem and echo chamber working really well. So that's the, that's the ultimate goal with Excel. I believe you need to start at the top of the pyramid, not the bottom. And when I got into the brand, we had hundreds and hundreds of kids teenage kids getting product at their local beach with the theory explained to me, we want to be visible everywhere. And I'm like, you do, you really do. But I don't think managing four or 500 local kids around the country only is the best place to start. Let's do it from the other way around. Let's, let's put that to the side for a minute. Um, let's start at the top of the pyramid. Where, where are our A list, A level athletes? We don't have any, we can't afford them. Okay, let's let's ditch the 500 kids. Let's re repurpose the money because <laughs> we'll come back to them. But we maybe yeah. don't need hundreds. Well, maybe we just need like uh, maybe 50 great rippers at 50 breaks is better than 500 kids scattered over, everywhere. But yeah, let's go back to the top. Sure. Who's your icon? It's Archie. 
who's the who's the most relevant faces today that represent our brand DNA? We're not a WSL brand. We're not a competitive brand. We're, we're not we're not trying to win the, the World Surf League. We're, we're more likely to be you know head down charging some slab in Ireland or Australia. So mm-hmm. defining who we are as a brand should define who we are as an, as a set of influencers and athletes and celebrities. So and that's so critical to do that because you could grab anybody. And right now, because in surf, all the athletes' contracts are being let go because of all the changes, we could literally have almost anybody subject to be able to afford them. But Almost every stuff is available right now, but that's not how you do it. You don't do it based on who's there. You do it based on knowing your brand. It's, it's interesting if, if I'll use a live example of, of, of like the Florences, you know, if yeah, there's John, yeah. John, John is very competitive and Nathan, who's, who's, who's a great traveler. If you were to say Excel, which, which of the two brothers stacks up closest to your brand, then we would say, well, we love them both. They're both incredible surfers, but we're more of a Nathan than a John John. Like that, wow. we, just, we just know, we just know our brand, right? So yeah, kind of like when uh, Rob uh, kind of became known as like the first major lifestyle surfer, like he wasn't, it wasn't that he was on tour winning championships is that he was traveling to amazing places and he really right. embedded the brand for the sponsors that he was working with. And that's why his board's on my wall. So. Yeah, no, exa- exactly. That's a great example. The, the, if you saw yesterday, the Gudaskis brothers all jumped out of bands. They're three very different people. I could pick one of the three as being more likely to be Excel than the others. So, so, it's, so it's knowing your brand. And so we did that exercise. And then we're building a, an A-list team uh, supported by some incredible free surfers underneath. The other thing I've learned, having teams at places like Converse or big pools of influencers at places like UG, you don't need a big team it's not about size it's about quality and it's about brand fit and then it's it's having a handful of great people in the excel sense that we really really use all the time because if you have 50 people in your team how do you you got to toggle all the time but if you've got we have six great athletes right now that's two women four men four guys that's that's enough we we can do enough content we cycle them through i love repetition so i'd rather use the same person multiple times than than use 50 people once so yeah, we're in a really good place at the top of the pyramid and now we can start to like add the layers underneath how does that stick with your, with your approach yeah no i think it's great um you know we definitely <clears throat> it depends on where the brand is in their life cycle you know for newer brands uh that have smaller budgets we'll usually start them off on like gifting right yep. so just get the pro- get the product out there in the hands of as many people as possible see which people respond to it and post about it organically. And if those have lift, then we go and create long-term deals. Um, but those are like brands that are starting from the ground up. You guys have a long history and I imagine at least budgets to support those athletes. Yeah. And if you're not supporting them hugely in a financial perspective, it's, you know, access to opportunities, gear, you know, collaboration, you know, there's a lot of things that brands can do to co-create versus just like pay to play. Yep. So yeah, I think your approach sounds right on, you know, like where we've been helpful, I think the, to the WSL is really helping them uh, blow out their non-endemic partnerships yes. with uh, larger influencers that basically evangelize the lifestyle that might not be core surfers. So like Jeep, for example, right? How do you make, how do you grab somebody who's a lifestyle surf person who might not be a pro from Australia, Brazil, America, France, and South Africa, get them all out to WSL and like get them creating content with Jeep and that, because, you know, at the end of the day, they're moving metal. They're not moving surfboards. For sure. For sure. It's interesting. We have Sage Erickson on our team and she's done a great job of, of, um, 
she's a great she's a great surf ambassador and she's very proactive with her own posting and, and tagging and, and she, she's wonderful to work with and she's also a really great ambassador for non-surf brands you know she's got a whole host of car and cosmetic brands that she's she's been able to cross cross over between being super relevant inside surf for surfers and then being really interesting as a surfer to non-surfers so yeah it's it, it's a it's, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting balance but yeah, I love it. So, all right. So I want to get into a little bit of uh, kind of more surfing lifestyle for you specifically and kind of how that has helped uh, inform your uh, philosophies as a marketer. So the main thing, we've talked about it a little bit already, but you've been a surfer for 45 years. You surf every single day. You live in Santa Barbara, which is one of the best surf towns on the Central Coast. Like how important is surfing the act of getting out and getting in the water detaching for your cell phone and having white space to be in your head and be creative like are you thinking about campaign ideas and strategies and stuff when you're in the water or are you just trying to like get that wave like what does surfing do for you uh as a creative and a marketing leader yeah gosh i mean i just love surfing and my, my dad told me we grew, we grew up in the beach in in sydney and in, in the 70s and right in the water and my dad surfed and all of his friends surfed and you know, like he, it was interesting. He he always said to me, and it's not necessarily the best advice, but he said, don't do anything else other than surfing. He said, don't get distracted by sailing and skiing and fishing and all that. He said, just just surf. You, you, you'll thank you'll you'll be thankful later because you'll become really good, but it'll become your life. Yeah. And then you know, that's kind of I've evolved and that's become my life. So it's just the thing that we do, and it drives every every decision we make. Um, where we live, where we go, what we do, what we buy, who, all of our friends, all that stuff. So it's just, it just, it becomes who you are. And then, yeah, I mean, when, when you surf, sometimes you're going out there stressed and, and you just like got to get, get some, some tension out. Sometimes you go out there just to play. Sometimes you go out there exhausted because of the day before, but you just like want to get wet. And sometimes you're, you're absolutely right. You know, you go out there maybe with a, with a puzzle to think through and see, see whether the adrenaline, of surfing and the the freedom of surfing and the beauty of surfing where, where that might take you like I, I made a point of paddling out in the dark on monday morning for new on new year's day first one out it was dark it's kind of sketchy because it's it's rocky and i'm trying to stagger through the rocks in the dark but i wanted to like see the sun come up for the, for the beginning of the year wow. and then and then like just like see see what that thought led to like being like just watching the first sunrise of the year on my own in the, in the water. So you can use it in, in lots of amazing ways. And, you know, I'm middle-aged. I'm so strong because I paddle and surf every day. Like I, I also think it's a great way to get into an older age. And I see people around me and above me like dropping out because they're getting older or their back hurts or then their knees don't work or whatever. I just don't want to be like that. I just want to be yeah, physically strong and, and, um, and plus it's fun, you know, how many people have you heard of that, you know, they, they take up surfing in some place like Hawaii and they're like, oh my God, I'm so hooked. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> like it, it really is. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty epic. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. Like uh, I, unfortunately, my, you know, my daughters have gone in fits and starts. I, I, my, I, last time I brought my daughter out, she had a little bit of an injury. My board hit her in the face oh. and she's a little timid right now. She's 10, but I have a young one-year-old boy that I've definitely grooming for sure yeah. but I'm, i haven't quite been able to integrate my lifestyle into it to the level that you do but when i travel like i did a three-week uh trip in in europe 
And uh, I went out there for the Cannes Film or the really? Cannes Creative Festival, and then um, we were we were backpacking through Italy, oh, nice. and just I was just watching out of the train, looking for like any surfers in the ocean. And finally, I spotted some. I'm like, all right, we're stopping at the next stop. And then I found myself in this place in Italy called Recco, yeah. called the Black Wave, and got to surf that. So I'm always about. Even if I get one day in the water and a three-week vacation in Europe, yeah. like I'm still. Uh, that's awesome. So. Yeah, it, it, it is a it's a great it's a great lifestyle and a great hobby. And it's like as I said, it's mentally and and physically, it's, you know, super super healthy for you. So, yeah, that that's awesome. I mean, we, we we make conscious choices around around surfing. We chose to get a house on the coast in in Isla Vista on a point break, and that, that wasn't easy to do, but we we did it and. Um, and like, yeah, you just, so then we don't need to go away. Like we, every time we think about going somewhere, we're like, other than a few trips to Mexico, we kind of, we are where we want to be. So That's so amazing. So I was actually going to ask you that because I was talking your Instagram when I was doing my research and um, I went to UCS, <laughs> I went to UCSB. I lived on Del Playa my first year on the beach, like a lot of kids do. Um, I moved back to the fraternity house for the last three and a half years, but we were Sigma Chi's, we were the surf frat. Uh, in, in IV, but um, yeah. So you actually decided to live in Isla Vista, and what? Are, and are you closer to to Devros or Campus yeah. Side? No, we're, we're right in the corner at Devros, right oh, right the stairs. So, that's yeah, yeah. So amazing, man. Well, well, that's like literally like bucket list dream for me is to at least buy an Airbnb and IV and like stoke, like set it up for like people who want to go out there and surf for surf trips. But yeah, you know, that's absolutely true. No, that's that, that it, it's a, it's a magical spot and it keeps because of where it is. It keeps a lot of the crowds away because everybody thinks it's Oberon with students, but there's a lot of really great surfers in the oh student population. So. Yeah. So good. So uh, I was going to ask you, what's your favorite central coast break? Mine is campus point. Um, I, I, uh, I, like I've mentioned to you, I moved back to Santa Barbara. I, I didn't time it right. I moved to Goleta for, uh, about, or I owned a home in Goleta for two years. I only lived there for, I only lived there for six months because it was right going into the pandemic and kind of a hard time to move your family and make new mm. friends and stuff when everybody's locking down. So we ended up, you know, buying an RV and going on the road and doing a surf trip oh, instead. Oh, but, nice. um, what is it? But, but while I was living in Santa Barbara and whenever I was in Santa Barbara, I was uh, eight minutes door to door to campus point and I've got oh, cool. the longest laughs I've ever had in my life when campus points fires. Um, what's your favorite central coast break? Uh, I mean, we live on Deborah point and, and it's yeah. a hard technical ledgy, ledgy point break that when it gets big, it gets, it gets incredibly fun to surf. So that's the daily. We go to Halama a lot when there's <laughs> anytime you want, there's always bigger waves at Halama. It's just it's 45 minutes around the corner, but it's the most beautiful drive, incredible beach, just magical place to be. So we always say whenever we go there, we, we got to get there more often. We go camping there and stuff. Refugio is a fun break when it yeah. breaks. It's fun when it breaks. Um, and then up into the Gaviota coast, um, if, if and how you get access up into there is always just insane. The thing about Santa Barbara that's so beautiful is there's nothing behind us. You, you're yeah. sitting up in the water and you're looking back over mountains and it's, I mean, where else in California is, are you going to have that, that much beauty in nature? And, yeah, and it's uh, definitely magical, a little, little colder, but that, that's what you guys are for. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And therefore, excelwetsuits.com. I love it. So um, so we talked a little bit about uh, about this in the pre-interview, but just wanted to uh, get your take on this last swell. Uh, we saw some pretty wild videos coming out of Ventura, you know, some massive surf that was taken out the pier and 
you know, I was checking, I was checking Surfline every day and it was like, you know, eight to 10 foot in the Harbor. Um, how did you fare in this last swell? Did you get some good waves? Yeah. Thank you. We were all so excited about it. We were watching the, the forecast. There's an incredible, um, guy called Nathan cool that came out of Surfline and now he has a, a, an email service that you sign up for. It's free. Um, and he sends an email twice a week and it's a really detailed long range forecast of the California surf. Like he goes out weeks and weeks. So we were all reading Nathan calls email and he was getting more and more excited about, and he kept upgrading and upgrading coming to last the Thursday, the 28th. And he was saying it was going to be double overhead, but it was, he said it was going to be an interesting day because it would start smaller. Like it's probably start six to eight feet and end pretty, pretty massive. So we all paddled out and it was big. It was already like six to eight feet. And we're excited because that's like, that's a fun surf. And I've never experienced this in my life, but over two hours, the surf doubled and maybe nearly tripled in size while we sat out there. So every set wave was, was way bigger than the last. And we were taking a long view of it saying like, what you could feel the ocean getting like bigger and larger and more, just more movement. As I said, I've never experienced that much magnitude of shift in, in the space of two and a half hours. And you couldn't, you, the, the super long rides a lot of water moving around you couldn't paddle back up to the top so you had to like run up the cliff and run on the, the trail and then climb back down the cliff to get back out again for the next wave and it was all the friends and everybody was charging but yeah we, we yeah paddled out six to eight feet and came back in it was like 14 16 feet so such a great session for the memory banks um there was four rescues right in front of us people getting swept down the, oh. the, the coast and that was the same as the last time that there was this sort of swell four years ago there was helicopters and jet skis and and all, and all that so there was chaos up the coast in gaviota there were boats capsizing and jet skis oh man yeah it was like a massive amount of water but before it and after it was also great swell swell so yeah just incredible run um where we were rincon was a crazy was crazy yeah it's huge i love so, it so cool man well um are you headed to expo yep, next week yep yep will you be there uh, you know, I just, uh, when I was doing my research, uh, on you, I was reminded it was happening. So I just threw it in the calendar. I'm, I'm considering being a last minute entry for sure. So if I do, I'll oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give, give me a shout. All right. Well, Ian, we've come to the one hour mark. Uh, this has been an amazing interview. Uh, love your background, love the insights that you've brought, uh, to our audience about, you know, your career as a marketer. And I think you've given us some real good reminders about the fundamentals. You know, I love that idea of focusing on the core, figuring out what that hero product is within your uh, category and really going hard on that, making that your hero product and what you're known for. Um, I love your insights around the influencer strategy of like, hey, like sometimes it's better, you know, less is better, uh, you know, get out there and like really evaluate your influencer relationships. And just because you've inherited you know 500 disparate micro influencer relationships you know that's great but like is that really the best representation of what your brand should be doing at that moment or should you you know kind of scrap and rebuild with uh, a little bit more intentionality about the types of partnerships that you're creating so i think uh i love the insights that you brought i think they are completely applicable like you said not just to the surf industry but for other uh, uh, active where uh, active, uh, category, outdoor category marketers, but also just to marketers in general, even if you're a B2B guy. So, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Your insights. 
Um, for those of you who are tuning in at home, if uh, you liked the conversation that I had with Ian today and you want to see more of these, don't forget to subscribe or uh, follow us wherever you're listening or watching this podcast. Um, if you give us a five-star rating in whatever podcast platform you're listening to, that helps us find a larger audience. And most importantly, if you enjoyed the conversation I had with Ian today and you think a colleague might benefit from that, don't forget to forward it along so they get the value of our conversation as well. Uh, Ian, uh, as we sign off here, anything else you'd like to plug or where people might be able to find you? LinkedIn. <laughs> that's that's right. Awesome. Welcome to join, join in with me and, and have a conversation. Always, always happy to meet it. people. Awesome, man. Well, Ian, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, John. Talk to you soon. All right. See you guys yeah. soon.